Hey, welcome back to Crimes and Closets. This is Christy in my closet in St. Louis. And this is Beth in my closet in North Carolina. Hi, Beth. Good morning. We just had ourselves a right fun business meeting. We did. And I am like, I'm like giddy. I'm excited about all of the things that we just discussed, which we will not tell you all about. Some we're going to tell you about right now. (laughs) We're not telling you all things, but it's very exciting. We have exciting things happening. Super exciting. Our baby is growing up. I know. I know. Who knew? Who, who thought we'd still be here almost two years later? <laughs> don't know. <laughs> Not me. Yeah. yeah. So, so we have so many fun things coming in the next couple of months. We have our two-year anniversary coming in March. We have our 100th episode. 100th mm-hmm. episode coming in the next really in few two weeks. weeks. Right, yeah. two weeks from now. Yeah. So we decided we were going to do some special stuff, and the biggest thing is we have a Patreon. We did that. Mm-hmm. We made ourselves a Patreon. So we're going to have some bonus stuff up there, and it's coming quick. It's rolling out. That's why we had to yeah. have a meeting. It's all coming. So go check out the link on our social media, and you can find our Patreon and see how to support us, if you want extra content, more details about what you're going to get. Come hang out with us. It's going to be super fun. I yeah. cannot and wait. We're starting, we're starting small, guys. We only have one tier, just one tier for right now because we just want to see like get our like feet wet with this. So, yeah, you know. <laughs> and see how you guys even like it. But we do have some stuff already in the works that – is going to be pretty amazing and cool as far as bonus content goes. So if you want more, come check us out. That'd be cool. We'd like that. Yes. Yes. We love your support in general. You listen to us. You tell us how much you love us, which we love to hear. So this is just another layer that we're adding on. And we're hoping, so. too, that it allows us to have a lot more interaction, too, with like mm. people that listen to us and have like a platform for us to be able to dialogue more and, you know, it's going to be fun. Right. Yes. Yeah. So if you want to have the extra, go check it out. Yes. Do we have anything else that we can tell them right now? Um, 100th, episode in two, 100th episode in two weeks. Check out our Patreon. Become a patron. Become a closet sister. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of you are, but like if you want to become an official Closet sister. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think um, that's it. I think that's not all of our business. Yeah. We can tell, but there's more business. Okay. We've got lots of business, but we can't tell we you because it's our business. Yes. It's not your business. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> not yet, at least. Yeah, not yet, at least. So, um, do you have anything else? Any any stories for me or, or should we? No, I don't have anything else. It's like going to be valentine's day um black history month is coming in february so yes yeah it's i mean that's it that's all i have you know on my social um personal social i typically um do like i highlight somebody or something every day during black history month i know i love it i should just like tag crimes and closets and all of it so that you can like share it if you want. A hundred percent. Or I mean, I can share it too, but like when it's your week, if I don't get on there or something like that, like we can just share it on there. Cause I, oh, I bought a book this year for my content. I'm pulling it out. Sorry if I'm making noise right now, but this year I'm going to give a little spoiler. I'm doing bold women in black. <gasps> oh, every day is going to be fun. A black a cool book. And that's highlight. 
I know. I saw it. I don't remember where I saw it on TV or whatever. And then I, I went ahead and bought it. And so it's all my information. It like literally gives each like a description of each person. And how and here's fun. I'm, going I'm to use so it. excited. Yes. Yes. So there you go. There's something more exciting that I didn't even tell you about during our business <laughs> meeting. <laughs> so much. <laughs> okay. Do you have um do you have a crime? I do. Things so that are going to depress it. us? Yeah. And okay. kind of annoy you if I remember correctly in the episode. Nice. <laughs> yeah. The the city annoys you. Oh yeah. <laughs> Gary. So anyway, Gary, so. Indiana. We have any Gary, Indiana folks out there? Mm-hmm. Weird name. I had a friend. I had a friend from Gary, Indiana, and his name was Gary. So mm-hmm. Oh Gary. Yeah. Back oh in the day. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay. Yep. All right. Well, stay tuned if you want to listen to it. Okay. So this case is um, from a oh, one our listener, Tiffany, who coined the phrase closet sister. Oh, hello, Tiffany. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you so much for doing that, number one. Yeah. <laughs> Great contribution. Because we loved it. Yeah. As soon as we heard it, we were like, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. And thank you for sending us this case as well. I believe what she said, this is from her hometown. So- Yes, I think I even have that in my notes at the end, but this is from her hometown in Indiana. Okay, here we go. It's a a little bit of a rough one. Oh, no. Pat and Dan Paulson met in 1976, started dating, became engaged, and got married in 1978. It's a lot to happen in one year. Okay. They were friends for two years, but all of that, like, basically dating, engaged, married, all in 78. Okay. But they had known each other, like I said, for a couple of years. So it seems like it was a good way to start your relationship with a friend. They lived in Portage, Indiana, which is just outside Gary, Indiana. Do you know where that is? No. Portage? Yeah. Um, I hadn't heard of Portage, but I've heard of Gary. Gary, um, I've driven through Gary along um, plenty of times. I've probably driven past Portage, but I just didn't realize it. It's weird it's to be- name a town Gary. No, no, oh, I know. It's like, <laughs> what are you doing? I'm yeah. just hanging out in Gary. Just driving around Gary. Drive around in circles around Gary. <laughs> my gosh. I did, I'm sorry. <laughs> I would like to live in Gary now. Well, I don't know if I want to, but <laughs> um, it borders the southern part of Lake Michigan. So it's, you know, it's up there in Ohio. No, Indiana. Lied. <laughs> Remember what state I'm in. Um, to keep track of they, Gary. I do. Keep track of Gary. Um, they were building a good life together in their cute little brick house. And in 1982, they started their family with a son named Jason. Three years later, they welcomed Daniel to the family. And then in 1987, Sarah Lynn came along to complete their sweet little family. She was the baby of the family with two older brothers. So you can only imagine what it was like for her. She had to learn to keep up with those boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, she was very independent and always ready to take on a challenge and just to prove that she was just as big, fast, and strong as those boys were. Needless to say, she was somewhat of a tomboy. She loved to play sports, specifically basketball and softball. As a matter of fact, she wanted to be, I think she had dreams of being a pitcher for the, um, gosh, what was it called? Junior Miss Softball League, I think, in 
um, or, yeah, junior miss softball league in the like town that she lived in. Uh, one of her favorite activities was to collect bugs and frogs. Gross. Cute. But- oh, <laughs> I think she sounds fun. <laughs> no, because I used to do stuff like that, but now it's like, ooh. Yeah, not frogs. No. I My boys used to collect frogs at my mom's house, but I did not do that. I definitely did bugs, though. So she would just take her jar and ride her bike across the street to – there was a church pretty much across the street, and right behind it was a wooded area, the woods. And so she would ride her back bike over there, and that's where she would go and try and find her bugs and frogs. But the cutest part about her to me was that even though she was a tomboy, she loved and had to wear the color pink Aww. at all times. So – somewhere, somehow, whether it was her shirt, her pants, or just like, oh, I have to wear a bow because I got to have pink on today. It was her signature color. Yes. Yes. Her signature color. And typically I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but when you're a tomboy, it's not like necessarily a color that you like. I mean, because you're just like totally into that. I, I, I was a tomboy and I hated pink until really actually recently. I think I just started liking it, but only a little bit. <laughs> anyway, I think she even had a pink and purple bike. Do you remember those? Back in the day, I mean, I don't know if she had one of these, but do you remember the uh, Huffy Sweet Style bike? Heck yeah, man. That was pink and purple. That was That's all I imagined when I was reading this. (laughs) Get a little basket in the front to put all your stuff. Heck yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So on her last day of summer in 1995, just a day before she was supposed to start second grade on August 22nd, she decided that she wanted to do her favorite thing and go find some frogs. Her dad was out of town. For work, and her mom had left early that morning to go to work. They both worked for the steel mill, steel mill in the town. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe mom like ran the office for her dad, and dad would go out of town for this. I don't know exactly what they did, but they both worked at the steel mill. And you said she was in second grade? She was going into second grade the next day. Oh, no. I do not have a good feeling at all. No, and it's like sickening to me. I mean – all of it, any kid case is sickening, but like, this is like exactly my youngest age, you Mm -hmm. know, like he's in second grade right now. So I'm just picturing like, Oh, he would go ride his bike and probably do the same thing. Anyway. So, um, mom was at work, left older brothers to babysit and it was quite normal for her to go out and do this. So that nobody thought anything of it. Like, okay, yep. Sarah's going out to collect her bugs. So she left the house around between 11 and 1130 that morning. The boys were, weren't exactly like specifically sure the the time, but it was between 11 and 1130. At 12.18 that afternoon, a call came into the local police department stating a body had been found just off the caller's property. Their dog had been barking and acting strange, so they went out to check what was causing the dog to bark, and they discovered a half-naked body lying face down in the woods just feet off of their property line. Oh my gosh, this is just an hour. Not, yeah, possibly not even. Right. When police arrived, they realized it's the body of a little girl and her bicycle is found 50 feet away from her. Her bathing suit top was on, but her bottoms and shorts were pulled down below like her knees. I feel like it was like on hanging off of one leg and it was obvious that she was sexually assaulted. No other signs of anything are immediately apparent, so they can't even tell the cause of death. So they just start knocking on doors in the neighborhood and describing what this little girl looks like to see if anybody even knows who she is or if anybody is like has a missing child, whatever. And as they're walking in the streets, 
Pat Paulson walks up to the police and is like, I cannot find my daughter. I just got home from work a little while ago, and it's not odd for her to be out playing, but I haven't seen her. And now clearly there's like a police presence. Like, I don't know where she is. So she describes her daughter to the police, and that's who they have found in the woods. And they have to inform her that, well, we've just, we found your daughter, but she has passed. Oh my gosh. So when the autopsy comes back, it shows that Sarah Lynn died by strangulation. The only other evidence found on her was a few blue fibers found under her fingernails and that they concluded that she must have fought for Mm -hmm. her life, this little girl. They also determined that she had been probably killed just before she was found, like within minutes, essentially. The murder rocked the community of Portage. Things like this just didn't happen there. For weeks, people just didn't let their kids go out and play. People were staying home. It was like the city shut down, according to most of the sources that I found. Um, The police, who said it usually had a decent amount of calls for like minor offenses, said even their calls dwindled down. So it was like even the like small time criminals were like, I'm not going out. Somebody's been murdered in, in this city. Like that's how much it was rocked. So crazy for it to happen there. Um, Initially, the police got a tip from neighbors that there's this man that lived nearby who's not a huge fan of kids. Basically like a get off my lawn type of guy, Mm -hmm. grumpy old guy. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, all right, well, we'll go talk to him. So he was was out gardening. He's usually out gardening. And when they went to question him, that's what he was doing. His name is Oliver. He was out working in his yard the morning of the crime and he was very cooperative. He said he heard a scream that morning, but it was unclear where it had come from or if it was a boy or a girl. And he just assumed that it was like, you know, it was the last day of summer, kids horse playing, whatever in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So he didn't think anything of it. So he just went back in to the house and didn't do anything about it. And he even actually went into the police station for a polygraph because they were just kind of like, well, people are mentioning you. I don't really know why they did. So what if he's a grumpy guy? I don't, I mean, that doesn't mean that you murdered a girl, but I don't know. I guess they're just doing their due diligence to like read out, you know, at least take him off the list. So he passes a polygraph. And then when they check his record, he's squeaky clean, like he's never done anything. So they just clear him. They're like, there's no reason for us to really believe that you would have done this to him, to her. So they move on and talk to the priest at the church that she had ridden her bike to. He's also very cooperative and has a clean record. I mean, I'd say clearly because he's a priest, but that's a little iffy these days too. (laughs) So (laughs) he said he was in the parking lot of the church around the time that Sarah left her house to ride over there, but he never saw her. He said he wasn't out there very long and he went back into the church, which is corroborated by all the people who work there, never heard anything, nothing. So that's kind of like a dead end. Can I ask a question going back uh-huh. a little bit to the autopsy? So they found the blue fibers, no DNA? Mm-hmm. No. No DNA under her fingernails from the sexual no. assault? None of that. Huh. No. And I don't even think there was, yeah, DNA. Fr- yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's anything from the sexual assault because they basically said all they found was this blue fiber. Okay. Got it. So, yeah. <clears throat> so the police then decide to do a sex offender search in the area and they are shocked at how many people are living there in that area. They did not give it an exact number, but they were just like, Whoa, didn't realize we had that many people. So they start knocking on 
these sex offenders' doors just to see where they were that day, whatever. And in one source, it stated that most of them were literally like waiting for the police to come. Like they'd answer the door and they're like, we figured you were going to show up. This is what we were doing, blah, blah, blah. Do you want to take a DNA sample? You know, like, what do you need? They were like willing to. It rocked their world, even though they're sex offenders. (laughs) Like they were like, yes, let's figure out who killed this girl. Wow. So they, they were pretty, pretty cooperative. And nothing ever came of that either. So there we are. We just keep hitting these dead ends. A few days in, police get a call from a local fast food restaurant, Hardee's. We talk about fast food so often. It's bananas. <laughs> yes. We actually, I think that was one of the things that were like linked when we were like comparing serial killer cases. Yes. That we both mentioned some sort of fast food. But even now it's like mm-hmm. John Silver's and McDonald's. Like it, yeah. uh, it all is, yeah. We, yeah. we as a country eat too fast much food. fast food. That's what I think. <laughs> Shut them all down. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, not really. Actually, no, Chick-fil-A. <laughs> <laughs> or Popeye's. I love Popeye's. Um, anyway, the manager was calling to tell police that the day of the murder, one of on the day of the murder, one of her employees had been horsing around too much and was like squirting the employees with um, a water bottle, whatever. And he had been recently been inappropriate towards female coworkers. So that day she was like, all right, I've had enough of you. You need to just go home. Like you're done for the day. This is ridiculous. Go home. So he left and clocked out around 1102 that morning. And that was 38 year old Eugene Britt. They ran his record and found that he had been convicted of rape and robbery of a 16 year old girl in 1978 and had just gotten out of prison two years earlier in 1993. So this is enough for them to be like, okay, let's bring you in for Mm -hmm. questioning. Mm -hmm. So they bring him in, but he's pretty abrasive and defensive. Like, you guys are harassing me. I haven't done anything. Why are you you doing this? Blah, blah, blah. So they talk to him about the crime and how they know that he was sent home from work that day early and that he got on his bike and rode away. So he admits that he got on his bike and rode – and left early that day, the same around the same time. But he's like, I rode north. And what you're telling me is this crime was south Mm -hmm. on this road. So he's like, I was going in the opposite direction. And so they were like, okay, well, I don't don't know. Right now we have to take your word for it because we don't have anything linking you to this crime. So we have to let you go. But they don't like just give up on this guy. They're going to keep looking into it. So they go over to his sister's house who he was last known to be living with. And when they arrive at her house just to talk to her about him, she's just as abrasive as he is and wants nothing to do with talking to them. She's just like, no, I'm not going to talk to you. Hmm. So they really don't know where to go at this point, but they keep him on the radar, but they just need to find more evidence to link him to this. And then in the meantime- Or to rule him out. Yes, or to rule him out. Yes, exactly. Either way, they need to find more evidence for one way or the other. But there's also more leads coming in because people just want this solved. So that's just like they call up and be like, okay, what about this? What about this? What about this? Mm. So they keep following these other leads at the same time of keeping Eugene on the radar. Um, After the break, I will let you know how this investigation progresses. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so after they interview Eugene, they get a call from a Chicago radio station host. Apparently, someone had called in claiming to have killed Sarah Lynn. Weirdly, this guy left his full name and address with the radio station. Okay. <laughs> okay. Apparently, you want to get caught. So the Chicago police go and take this man into custody, and the Portage police head over to question him. He gives them lots of details of the murder. He says he took a Greyhound from Chicago to Portage. And for those of you who don't know, which may be you, that's only about 41 miles between okay. the two. So it's not like unheard of that he could have taken the bus down to Portage. He said he got off the, at the stop in Portage, and as he was walking around, he saw a girl on her bike in the park. She was playing with two other girls. One of them, and apparently Sarah, yelled racial slurs at him that caused him to snap. He grabbed her, choked her, and then ran. So there are a few things that are off about his statements. Are you able to pull any of them out? Well, she wasn't in a park. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's one. She wasn't with other people. Yep. And mm -hmm. she was sexually assaulted, and he didn't mention that. Right. Exactly. Okay. So those are three of them. She wasn't alone. I mean, she was alone. She wasn't in a park. She was at a church parking lot. And she... This isn't as obvious to everybody, but there is no Greyhound bus stop in Portage. Oh, so well. He could not have gotten off a bus in Portage. <laughs> so, but only people that the live there. World. So, regardless of all that, they were like, okay, but for whatever reason, this guy calls and says that he killed her. So, let's bring him to the crime scene and see what he says about that. And as they walk around that, it becomes real obvious that he literally has no idea what happened that day at all. So I don't know what the details were, but they were like, yeah, this guy is probably, I don't know why he did it, but it's not him. And then to top it all off, his mom ends up calling the police station when she realized that he's done this and said, this isn't the first time he's tried to admit to a crime that he didn't do. Like, so clearly there's a little bit of a mental instability with this man. Yeah. And he keeps admitting to crimes and I don't know why. That's why I didn't even mention his name because I was like, it's not even worth it. Like this guy, <laughs> he's a that whack, is whack job. Another level of weird. Yeah, I, it is. It really is. To be, to, but, sit, to do that repeatedly. Well, exactly. And also, somebody let's get him help. I mean, I guess it's yes. early 90s or mid-90s, but get him help because the police get annoyed because they're like, well, we wasted four days with this guy. Right, yeah. Because we really thought that this was something since he admitted it. Anyway. And also, just as a side note, this poor girl's family... I know. Oh my gosh. I mean, like, it's a roller coaster just listening. I can't imagine living through all of these leads and, and like, that's just. And when I tell you, this is another family that, like, I admire and think is amazing. It's because there were things that in interviews that this mother said, especially in the end, that, like, I, I mean, I, I, spoiler alert, we're going to figure out who it is before the end of the story. Um, but she's like, if Sarah Lynn was meant to live and die because so that no other people were killed after her because Ugh. she was the reason this guy got caught, then that's the way it was supposed to be. Like, and it's amazing to me when people think that way because I'm like, yeah. I would really like to think that I would be the same way, mm -hmm. but I really don't know. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> so amazing. Yes. Right. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So. Waste time with this guy. So then another lead comes in. 
that is brought to their attention by that priest from the church. He, right after this, started getting letters from a person who called himself Mad Jack. Mad Jack would send letters, letter after letter. I think there was a total of seven of them in the end, talking about how he hated religion and people and just seemed like pissed at the world in general. And in one of the letters, he sent a picture of an autopsy of a little girl. I don't know how he got his hands on it, but it was like a naked picture of this autopsy. Okay. And he would not Sarah Lynn, but he would, I don't think it was Sarah Lynn. He would mention Sarah Lynn in his letters too. And he seemed kind of obsessed with that case. So they were like, well, I don't know, maybe we should look into this guy. So they try and find him, but they're never able to find him because all of the letters come with no return address and they're from Chicago. They narrow it down to one post office and they go to that post office, but they don't have any surveillance video. So they Hmm. can't like say, oh, at this time, that's when this guy came in and this is who it is. So they literally cannot find this guy. So it's another day, dead end. Days turn into weeks, weeks into months. Two months after the murder, a witness comes forward that they saw a man riding his bike in the direction of the murder, and that man is Eugene Britt. So he was <gasps> from Hardy's. From Hardy's. Not in the opposite direction like he had said initially. Why did it take I'm- this person two months? Okay, so I don't know that answer. <laughs> I'm addressing that. I'm thinking that maybe his picture may have been in papers or on TV or something, and then it like jogged someone's memory, okay, maybe. Because okay. I imagine like you can start talking about people of interest, but I don't know that that's the case. But I can't imagine. I, that's what I'm imagining. That right. is what happened. So they suddenly remembered and called for whatever reason. So then, not long after that, Eugene's sister calls the police back. Remember earlier, she was not willing to help and very yes. abrasive and standoffish? Yes. Well, now she wants to talk. She had recently kicked him out of the house because he had quit his job and was unable to help her with bills. So she was like, go. Like, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to support you. Mm-hmm. And she said that he's now living at a halfway house. Um, and in the process of cleaning out his room and the closet, she found a box of some of his clothes. And inside the box was his old hardy uniform and for some reason, she thought the police may want it. I don't know why. It's not stated, but she was just like, well, here, since you were looking at them, I guess, maybe here, do you do you want this stuff? So they go and get it. And when they look at the uniform, they immediately think it looks like the blue fibers from under Sarah Lynn's just fingernails. I going to say that. Don't they wear blue? Yes. And when they came, when they brought him in, he wasn't wearing his Hardy's uniform. So they didn't think, you know, like... Oh, wait a minute. That's they, If he had been, they probably would have thought that from the beginning, but he wasn't. So they send it in for testing, and wouldn't you know, it's a match. Oh, my gosh. So they bring him back in, and he now just confesses to the crime. What? He's like, yep, I did it, but I don't really want to talk about it. I don't want to give you details, but I did it. So he's just like, yep, okay, I did it. But he then goes on. This is the kicker here goes on to confess to nine other murders in Gary, Indiana. Mm -hmm. Portage is a small town, like I said, just outside Gary. And in 1993, when he got kicked out, but I don't know that this happened. He wasn't the one that did these. But in 1993, Gary had been coined the nation's murder capital. The nation's murder murder capital. (laughs) Okay. It's a town of about... 110,000 people, and there were 110 murders that year. 
So it was insane. And I've, I've heard things about Gary, how it's not like the safest place that you want to be. I don't know what it is now, but I had heard things. So anyway, in the year that this happened, 1995, there had been eight ba- bodies found in Gary between May 9th and September 12th of 1995. But they didn't have – some of them weren't even labeled homicide. Some of them were like natural causes or like accidental or whatever. I don't know. But they didn't know. They just had these bodies. He said he killed eight other women and one man. He went into some details of their murders. He wouldn't talk about Sarah's. Basically saying that he would approach all these people from behind in desolate areas, drag them into wooded areas, rape and strangle them. And they were all between the ages of 8 and 51. Oh, because Sarah was eight. There was, a think, a 14-year-old in the mix and then maybe another 16-year-old. So there was other kids in there. Oh, my gosh. The one man he killed had apparently tried to steal his bike at some point with a few other men, but he scared them away at the time. But then he ends up tracking one down or seeing one on the streets, I don't know, and beat him up and strangled him. So that was the only man that he had killed on November 2nd, 1995, Eugene was arrested. Oh, my gosh. Could they prove any of this? Well, you're probably going to get to that. Okay. Well, I mean, they did because he was saying where bodies were. I think he even led them to one that they hadn't even found yet. So, yes. Wow. They, yeah. He pled guilty in May of 1996 to the murder of Sarah and received 100 years in prison. So, he just pled guilty just to, like – you know, get the death penalty off the table and all oh. that. He sat in prison while they were investigating all the other murders. Out of the 10 victims that he had said he were he could kill or he had killed, they were only fully able to identify and prove seven of them for whatever reason. I don't know. Kill those seven? Yeah. yeah. In February of 2000, he was charged with six more murders, you know, because he had already been convicted of um, Sarah's and the rape of a 13-year-old. His lawyers tried to argue over the years that his mental state was deteriorating and he was criminally insane and he should not be liable for what? Weren't we just having this conversation about somebody else earlier? Mm-hmm. For, liable for what he did. A psychiatric evaluation was done and he was deemed sane and able to stand trial. On October 6, 2006, he pled guilty to the three six murders and rape. And they did another psychological exam at that time. And he was deemed intellectually disabled. Okay. So the court showed leniency on him. And he was given an additional, only an additional 245 years. <laughs> okay. Well, I yeah. don't hate that. I'm <laughs> right. That's leniency. I'm for it. Right. Like, so apparently after this, he burst into tears and showed remorse for what he did. But I'm pretty sure nobody really cared. I mean, maybe Sarah Lynn's mom, Patty, was appreciative of it because she just seems like she's that kind of person. But And all these other victims' families. Holy smokes, Gary. Right. So this little girl, so why, I mean, maybe just because he was in there at that moment in Portage, because it was like all his other killings had been done in Gary, and just Sarah Lynn was the only one done in Portage. I don't know why, at this point, maybe it was like, there he was, there she was. I was going to say, he definitely sounds like a person who is a crime of opportunity type of person, but there's also a possibility he was frustrated and was like, well, I'm going on a hunt. Well, that's true because he had been sent home from work and was, yeah, probably mad about it and whatnot. So, but, and clearly he didn't discriminate against age because he had been all over the board with ages, I think, you know, till 51, from eight to 51, you know, it, yeah. 
Anyways. So as I said earlier, it had rocked this small community at the time of the murder. And again, this was the hometown of Tiffany who suggested the case. And I read that the Midwest Steel Mill that's in town, which I believe is the one that her parents worked at, offered at the time a $15,000 reward to whoever provided information that led to the arrest. And also the local Burger King did a fundraiser for the family. So they did have this like little tight knit community that just wanted to like come around this family and help, which was kind of nice to hear. Yeah. Um, Sarah Lynn's mother has stated that neighbors planted a tree with a plaque in the neighborhood for Sarah and that the softball league that Sarah wanted to be a pitcher for built a park like in you know, where they have their fields, there's a park and they call it the Sarah Paulson park. Oh, I love that. And Sarah, I know, isn't it sweet? Sarah's mother plants flowers outside every year of her home and they all have to be pink. Oh, in her memory. Wow. This poor little girl ends up basically taking down a serial killer. Yeah, she did. She was a freaking hero. Yeah, because she got those fibers under her nails. Because she fought. Like, yep. Mm-hmm. That's her heart. She, I know. So sad. Sad story. Yeah, I'm pretty ruined. I know. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm my sorry gosh. I don't like them. I don't like the kids. I don't like the serial killers. I don't like anything <laughs> about it. I don't know. Yeah. What a case. Well, I'm glad we can talk about it, and I'm glad that we can, you know, shed light into how victims are so strong and their lives have such meaning mm-hmm. so, and their deaths have such meaning. I mean, we hear you. We hear you, Paulson family and all the other victims of this freaking Eugene. What in the heck? Yeah. Right. I know. And you know, and I just said, I just realized I said serial killer. Is he considered a serial killer? If he, Don't you have to have a cooling off period? Mm-hmm. I mean, all this is like between May and September were all of his victims. I say yes. Yeah. I mean, I say yes just because, I mean, that's a lot of people for anybody. I know that there's a lot more out there, of, you know, that have done more, but. It does almost know. sound like a spree killing. Is that what you're saying? Because they yeah. rapid, like rapidly do it. Yes. Okay. So I'm while we're sitting here, I'm just looked up his Wikipedia, which I don't know. It does say an American serial killer. So yeah. I guess he is on the serial killer list. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So wow. Yeah. How have we never heard of this guy? Right? Huh. right? Thanks, Tiffany. Anyway. Closet sister. Yeah. For life. Yeah. For life. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Okay. Wow. I know that wasn't a fun one. To Mm-mm. research no. because um, you rocked my Monday. Mm. No, thank, sorry. But thank God for Sarah Lynn and her family and that these other families got justice because she was a fighter. Whew. Yeah. Yeah. I hope to talk to her mom one day. I did reach out to her on social media, but she, I don't think, has seen my messages or whatever. And so hope one day maybe she, she will and we'll reach out. She and- sounds amazing. Yeah. We see where Sarah Lynn got it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. For real. All right. So there we have it. Thanks so much, Christy. Mm -hmm. You're You're so welcome. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was good. I liked it. I mean, as much as you can, you know, Mm -hmm. it's good to talk about these things and tell these stories and good outcome 
as much as yeah. one can be. And he is definitely going to be in jail forever. Bye, Eugene, from Gary. Mm-hmm. See you. I hope Gary got it together. I mean, I hope they're things are going yeah, better. Yeah, Gary for Gary. Look up stats, stats there <laughs> for more recent. But we wish hate to been. hate to um put an opinion out there on Gary based in 1995. They could have gotten a better. It could be a little better now. <laughs> we wish you the best, Gary. Still cracks me up. <laughs> Okay, well, we hope you guys enjoyed it. We hope you come back and find us on social media. And always remember, the world is scary. People suck. Hide in your closet.